to Mechanical Freak from Seattle, that city of the future on the bleeding edge of neoliberal dystopia today. Uh, Munya, how's it going? I'm Greg. Yeah, it's going pretty well. It's going pretty well, you know. I got, I got you know, a little micro-needling going on, so my face is all red. I'm, I'm looking mad. I'm looking angry. And it's, like, you know, there. pretty appropriate for the, for the, you know, I guess for the topic. Yeah, so like we said the other day, um, we're going to talk more about COVID today because, I mean, it's not boring after two years, right? Like, it's still happening. Let's see, daily uh, in the New York Times, new daily cases yesterday, uh, 770,000 just about. The rolling seven-day average starting to catch up with the daily average. Maybe that means we're coming to some kind of plateau, but that plateau is like in the fucking stratosphere if it's even coming. Um, Just enormous uh, amount of cases out there, you know, which is interesting. Um, Well, here also in the New York Times, uh, they dropped this yesterday. This COVID surge feels different is the headline. Subhead, despite its reputation for mild illness, the Omicron variant is fueling a staggering rise in hospitalizations. Uh, And uh, I like this from someone called at Aviercant or something. I don't know what that someone posted that retweeted that headline that the New York Times tweeted uh, with a screen cap of uh, a New York Times headline from a few days ago. That says Omicron is milder. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's what they've been fucking telling us. That's what the CDC has been saying. Uh, Basically, in line with the message, like, you know, get out there and uh, get back to work that we've heard for the last year. Um, We're all trying to find the guy uh, who did this. (laughs) Uh, So nothing has changed in that way. Fuck that. that, in fact, the Democrats, you know, have been pushing us to get back to work and school for an eye on a year now. Uh, Biden has been saying that when we're allowed to see him, his spokespeople in his place when necessary. Uh, obviously, big wrinkle in the plan of going back to school is the continuing and now growing horror of the pandemic itself. But another one is militant teachers unions. Yeah. And as Democrats around the country turn to their favorite pastime of demonizing the very same, I suspect we won't actually hear much from Biden on this issue specifically because it runs contrary to his like pro union aesthetic brand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Scranton, Scranton Joe, uh, Amtrak Joe, you know, he's Irish Joe, Irish Joe. He's not out. <laughs> he, he only comes out when he there's something positive to be said about a union. But luckily, he has plenty of spokespeople. Uh, and America has a goddamn shitload of Democratic mayors to shit on teachers unions for him. An army. Uh, and it really is, uh, you know, for the last 40 years, one of their favorite things to do. Um, Chicago has one of the most probably one of the most militant teachers unions in the country and they have kept schools from going back into in-person learning this week uh coming back from break because they're demanding better safety um here's mayor of chicago Lori lightfoot the woman who once and for all answers the question Hmm. are there black hobbits uh (laughs) 
that's not just because she's short. Lightfoot is a hobbit ass name. Yeah, it is. Come on. You know, those feet are crazy. (laughs) This is Mayor Lightfoot a couple days ago uh, on the 8th, I guess. At CTU, Chicago Teachers Union Local One Leadership, you are not listening. The best, safest place for kids to be is in school. Students need to be back in person as soon as possible. That's what parents want. That's what the science supports. We will not relent. Science is real. The science is real. Oh, here's an announcement. Something in the New York Times quoting the CDC the very next day. CDC researchers are puzzling over a sharp rise in young hospitalized children infected with the coronavirus. Oh, that's so so strange. Whoa, I I just Um, don't understand how that happens. uh, Also from a few days ago in the New York Times, children who have recovered from COVID-19 appear to be at significantly increased risk of developing type 1 or type 2 diabetes, CDC researchers reported on Friday. So... Uh, you know, among the other things that we just don't really know or understand or that and that the people running the country don't want to acknowledge is that like this isn't even when it's not that uh, doesn't even when it ends up not being that serious, a respiratory disease for you, we know you can be left with all kinds of uh, lasting damage to your body that no one really understands yet. And that is wild. Like, they're saying like a significantly increased risk of developing diabetes in children. That is uh, crazy. Is something they're seeing. That's wild. Um, now in Chicago, the uh, teachers there are now voting, I think through the end of today, maybe that's closed by now to whether or not to approve a tentative deal made between the union leadership and the city on going back to school that involves uh, increased precautions stuff that would take uh maybe close some schools in some classroom based classrooms based on uh criteria for with you know availability of teachers and students because of absences because of covid testing of course lots of teachers from the union are saying the deal doesn't go far enough i don't know how that's going to turn out good to mention that lori lightfoot uh, tested positive for COVID. Oh, yeah, uh, that's right. Today. Release about that. <laughs> and it's and, working um, from home. Working from home. <laughs> what do you... Classic. Picture that. Huh. So, obviously, this is affecting teachers and students around the country. I mean, I, I tempted to say the world, but uh, no one's really dealing with COVID in the way that the United States is around the world. Um so yeah, you've seen that like a distorted map that that one goes crazy. The one that's basically just like the bubble is so big on like the on the, the map United of States, the U.S. Yeah. that it actually covers Heard like the, the, the entire like Americas <laughs> and Greenland. <laughs> yeah. Um, and in here in Seattle, uh, no doubt these same kinds of issues are at play. And for that reason, we've got Tony D'Amico, a social studies teacher at Lincoln High School in Wallingford and a Seattle Education Association rep at the district level. Tony, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, yeah, happy to be here. Welcome, Tony. You're out there. uh, I mean, I presume you're out there teaching uh, day in and day out. Um, Tell us, uh, you know, what it's been like and uh, you know, maybe we could jump right into like what the current fight is, um, what the union is organizing around, 
right now, but you know, maybe you could just give us the short version of what um, the last year and a half has been like in teaching in Seattle public schools uh, through the pandemic. Yeah. <clears throat> I think one of the few good things is like all, a lot of these like charter schools and tech oligarchs who said the future was online school have been proven incredibly wrong. Hell yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like it's ever really going to catch on uh, full time. <laughs> so that's that's kind of the only good news. Um, you know, something that I think about every day is that um, in schools, um, we see all of the failures of our social infrastructure mm-hmm. uh, of our society. We, we see them um, bore out every single day. Um, so in Seattle Public Schools, what you saw in the last year and a half was wildly varying results. And a lot of those things come because of how poorly our society is funded and how poorly we, we do a job of investing in our, in so many different communities. Um, so when we talk about going up, uh, going on remote, we have to talk about things like childcare, which we mm-hmm. don't have. Uh, we have to talk about things like healthcare, which a lot of students, a lot of families don't, don't have, don't have access to good, don't have good healthcare. Um, we talk about the internet, like, like we had, you know, it's always like annoying when you get like this meager donation from Amazon and the Seattle times runs like 45 op-eds about how great Amazon is. Mm-hmm. When Amazon gives like $25,000 to schools. It's like, I'm sorry, we, 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 we shouldn't live in a society right now where students don't have the internet at home. In lieu of taxes, uh, you know? <laughs> gosh. Yeah. So I think like, I, I think a lot about, um, when it comes to Chicago and like kind of a difference with Seattle is that in Chicago, there's a lot of interesting things about that union. Like one, uh, the, the city's in charge. The mayor is in charge of the schools. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has pros and cons because of course, Lori Lightfoot sucks. Um, but she's also wildly unpopular. So it's like, it can be leveraged in some ways, but also there's things like the Chicago teachers union has done an excellent job and like advocating for more housing in their city. A lot of, a lot more social housing and public housing for students. Um, and that's a thing that like our school board might just be like, yeah, we agree. <laughs> we can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um, so we because see to, these... to clarify in Seattle, the governing authority is the Seattle school board, uh, which operates as the uh, Seattle public schools district, which with its own uh, budget uh, that within its own funding sources from the state, from levies that are separate from the city. Absolutely. Absolutely. So the, there's very little funding that comes from cities. Um, there's very little funding that comes from the federal government. Um, most funding comes from the states. Um, so like, like, I didn't like, even know that. That's really interesting. There's there's programs like special ed and English language learners um, that are primarily funded by the federal government. Um, um, but, but otherwise, the majority of the money comes from the states. And so it's sort of like a perfect way to like make it impossible for unions to actually uh, in Washington state, at least to, to advocate for things that, that our communities need. Um, but yeah, I would say the last year and a half has been, um, really tough. And, you know, I teach social studies. Uh, I would say your high school social studies and English language arts teachers had it the best, right? We could continue with discussions and lectures, conversations and papers and things like that. Um, I don't even want to think about like science or like a, <laughs> a world language, uh, math, PE, elementary school, like these were really tough. And 
uh, we saw constantly uh, in the media, teachers unions in the Seattle area portrayed as really devious uh, and wanting to, you know, teach from Hawaii and not return to the classroom. But but the teachers overwhelmingly uh, last year voted to return to the classroom. And so mm-hmm. I think that's also a thing where we have a younger, like a lot of our teachers are quite young and we live in small apartments and we work remotely 10 feet away from our partners. And uh, that, that thing became really untenable for a lot of folks. Um, and there was so much excitement around this year um, and, and being back in person. And a lot of, you know, there was a lot of anxiety and I, I you know, there were students that, that decided to go homeschool. Um, and, and like I, officially, like officially transferred to homeschool. Yeah. Um, and you just don't really know like the, the, the truth, the exact numbers here, but the school district, um, has lost students for sure. Mm. Um, they've lost a lot of students and I'm not sure if you know this, but, uh, in the entire United States, the Seattle has the second, we're second in percentage of K through 12 students that go to private school. Wow. Uh, we're number two by a lot. Like number one is, is San Francisco. And it's like a third, just like crazy. Oh, and Seattle's number two. And we're like, we're like a little under uh, a quarter. Um, Still, one in four kids go to private school in Seattle. Enormous, yeah. It's, that's it's a lot, and <laughs> I did not know that. It does not wow. surprise me, because obviously it's one of, becoming and is one of the most like unequal uh, regions in America, just because of you know all the the wealth that is here. Um, but one and a quarter in private school—that is wild. And I mean, yeah, that's nuts, and contributes to further inequality, I'm sure, in education. <laughs> Well, and like when I, what does the district want to do and what does it want to establish? And like, if you are in Seattle, you need to understand that Seattle public schools main goal is to get private school kids to go to public school instead. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the lens you always have to look at it through because it doesn't matter um, how many social justice oriented initiatives or programs they run. And, and many of these programs are very good. Um, they really want those private school kids, right? I mean, and you can think about also like Seattle. So we, we started a new high school, uh, Lincoln's clo- Lincoln closed in 1981 due to white flight, right? Um, this, the city was bleeding, popula- the population was sprawling. And, and when it came to open a new high school, and Seattle is probably going to have to open another high school in the next uh, five, six years. Wow. I mean, that's so crazy because I went to Seattle public schools. I went to Ballard High School. And it's yeah. just like, you know, it, it to see even them like building these like pods and like extending the school out and opening new schools, it just kind of goes to show how like fast the city is growing. Because even like, you know, when I was there, which wasn't like too long ago, you know, um, at least I like to think so. But like, uh, you know, it Schools are filling up, but we weren't seeing schools open like that. So it seems like there's just like a rapid shift, even like, you know, I think in the last you know, few years, five years, six years, seven years that, you know, the school district has really been dealing with the issue of scale, too, it seems. But sure. if, if, yeah. a lo- if a lot of that growth is taken up by wealthy people going to private school, then you are left with the students with the. Uh, who are coming from the the poorer families in the city, like and all the uh, disadvantages and attendant problems that kids 
in that situation come with and the lack of then also the lack of political will and interest in investment in the public schools from the most politically powerful cohort in the city, the richest people in the city who essentially, if you're putting your kids in private school, you're checking out of, you've decided you don't care what the making the public schools any better. You don't care if the levies pass, you don't, you don't give a shit. You're just going to bypass that altogether. Right. For sure. And like, and like when, when they built it, when they decided to open a new school, they built it in Wallingford. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And uh, I mean, at least today, Wallingford is a very, very expensive, wealthy neighborhood, right? And, and oh, yeah. This is the school. And so our school draws from a little bit of South Lake Union, Queen Anne, uh, Fremont, Wallingford, and like the south part of Green Lake. Um, and it's a it's a private public school, right? I mean, like it, it essentially mm-hmm. are, are the, the parents, the family, the demographics of our school uh, would resemble those of Bishop Blanchett's or Seattle Preps much more so than they would Franklin or Rainier Beach. Mm-hmm. Like it's so interesting when we talk about school closures and as a union sticking together and, and, and wanting to do things in solidarity and our communities are very different where they're worlds apart. And it's really sometimes hard um, to connect and make that case. And I think if we look at um, schools like Franklin um, Rainier beach and Cleveland um, who all, who are all having a very tough time right now, um, it's, it's a different case um, at Lincoln where you've got a lot of teachers who would tell you they don't notice anything. Uh, there haven't been many absences and whatnot. Uh, we do have a department that's basically empty. But, you know, once again, you think about inequality in a school district, but you, you're just more likely going to have subs sign up to go to Lincoln or Ballard than you are Franklin or Cleveland. Um, that's just the reality and it's sad, but that's one reason why we see these staffing outages is because our school can like subs will cancel at Rainier beach and come to Lincoln if they see a job, an opening the next day. And so it's just like, it's just like so many, like it's different worlds in the school district mm-hmm. and it's, it's fascinating, but there's the things that we do experience that are similar is that we can't get tests. We can't give our students KN95 masks. That's what we're told. Because of unavailability? Unavailability. And it's like you almost like yearn for like Trump to be president and and for like that would like shake people up a bit more. Do you see like because, you know, of course, like the broader the broader base and, you know, the parents, you know, of, uh, you know, rich and, you know, poor usually, you know, on the Democratic side in Seattle. So uh, I guess it sounds like what you're saying is that like a lot of them kind of are now depoliticized at least like you know not in um not in the way where it feels like a contradiction um that you know things are bad and trump is president versus things are bad and biden is so therefore we don't really have to we could go to brunch now basically um is like the thinking there wallingford is at brunch the, br- the brunch dams yeah the yeah. brunch dams yeah right <laughs> yeah and like you you will see like within blocks of lincoln high school in this house, we believe signs um, right next yeah, to signs. A, a favorite, a favorite of the show, um, yeah. a favorite sign of the show for sure. And a, and a colleague got me that sign, and like my wife and I couldn't figure out if it was a joke or not. And, and, it, and, it, and, it, and it was, but it was like <laughs> uh, it sounds like a cool colleague. Yeah, <laughs> like, like the, so you'll, you'll see those like um, uh, no no affordable housing. Right next to a Biden sign. Next Recall to Recall Sawan. 
Yeah. It's yeah. Like, you got like the four signs. Like Wallingford is like incredible place to walk around and see yard signs. And like there was even <laughs> one that, that was like Ann Davison for the city attorney. And then right below it, it had in parentheses, yes, I know she's a Republican. Like what? It's classic. Wow. Someone someone had been had people knocking at their door, their neighbors coming over, like, you know, you know that she's a Trump Republican, right? It's like (laughs) is yeah. Just so weird. Yeah. Well, so that kind of brings us to like the immediate situation. Christmas, the Omicron variant in America everywhere starts taking off. There's an impending date that SPS is going back to school in person. And what is what is happening now? First of all, did that happen? Like, what is the state of in-person uh, schooling in SPS schools right now? And what is uh, what are the problems with that? Or like, what's going on right now? Yeah, I mean, I've got classes that are, I'm missing more than 10 kids. And it's not it's not feasible to teach a lesson when you've got so many kids out. And I would say there's tremendous anxiety. And the district today um, put out some metrics for closing schools. I haven't had a chance to look at them yet. But before, the like metrics were like, if 50% of elementary school students are absent, consider going remote. It was like, that's not a metric. I don't know what that is, but that doesn't tell me anything. Um, and so like we finally get metrics today and like, that's, that's incredible. Like why, why haven't we had these all along? Um, we do have a department that can't function. The vast majority of them are out and <laughs> without talking about which department that is, like it raises massive equity concerns for students who are able to serve, mm-hmm. you know, there's wild things like, you know, the, and it, it's different. It's once again, like, like, the school district runs like middle school sports, but the state runs high school sports and like our basketball and wrestling teams get tested for COVID three times a week. I could sit next to someone who had COVID for 24 hours. Like we could sit right next to each other for 24 hours. And if we both had masks on the whole time, we would not be considered close contact. And and so the district has defined close contact in such an opaque way. That's like, you'd have to admit you're breaking the rules in order to get tested. Like, I, you mm-hmm. know, and it's just like you're it's really hard um, for teachers to find tests. And they had that one day where they gave us, you know, it was a weird day where they canceled school and they had us come get tested if we wanted to. That was Monday, right? That was last Monday and 25 percent. Um, yeah, sorry, last Monday. Yeah. Yeah. And 25 percent of students and teachers tested and um, essentially one in 25, I think it was like four percent, one in 25 um, tested positive. And if that happened, wow. and if that had happened in March 2020, we I mean we were shutting down the entire district when we had a dozen cases. Yeah. Um, and now we're basically saying it's okay if there's one per class. And, and so the, the shifting narrative, uh, we believe in science, right? It was like, okay, what do we believe? I don't know what that means, but nothing really. Well, I mean, the, the story has been for Omicron from the federal government on down that's been repeated by city government, school boards, uh, district leaderships is, well, not only do a ton of people have vaccines and everyone can get it down to a certain age, but also this uh, Omicron variant is so mild that, like, you know, it's not going to... 
it's not going to kill that many people. Uh, and so I think it seems like from the outside, like the idea has been to just, yeah, ignore it. The way our leadership of anything in America thinks about things is if you talk about it at all, you're acknowledging there's some kind of problem. So like by issuing guidelines or metrics for when schools would close, like in the mind of like a district, I can see people thinking, well, that suggests that we think that Omicron is a problem, which we can't let on because then we're culpable later. I don't know. Um, no, so, I mean, what I are the fears that teachers have or maybe that you're hearing from students about uh this wave of the pandemic like are to what do, are people worried just about missing work are people worried about getting sick and being on a ventilator and dying are people worried about um getting like you know long-term health impacts like what is the anxiety that's that's happening in schools in seattle right now yeah i, I think it's a, it's a combination for a lot of students it's what's what are we doing tomorrow yeah and for a lot of um, teachers, the district has not done a good job in like um, hiring additional staff to, to handle things. So it's like, okay, all of a sudden you're doing your job and now you're in charge of contact tracing. Um, or it's like, you know, every, sing, every single day. Wow. Uh, and like, I really like feel horrible for like our attendance secretary and our general secretary, like our admin secretary. And it's like, they can't do their jobs because every morning they're freaking out trying to fill um, trying to get teachers to voluntarily voluntarily give up their, their prep period to cover a class. And like, we need that prep period. Um, teachers break their contracts every day, um, working late at night, grading papers, getting things prepared, things like that. Um, and the only time we have during the day is, is one 50 minute prep period. And, and teachers are, you know, we're stepping up into those, but we should never be asked to. Uh, mm-hmm. We need to be able to, we need to be able to protect our staff. And so you have a lot of staff um, who are older. You've got a lot of subs who don't feel comfortable subbing right now. Um, and yeah, the fears would be mostly around. I think for you know Seattle, we, we voted for the for the van vaccine mandate ninety eight percent to two percent in Seattle. So <laughs> for teachers, that was for teachers among the four teachers in the in uh, in the union. Uh, yeah. What about is there a mandate now for students in seattle no um though sometimes you get a student who announces it <laughs> their vaccine steps and you'd rather they not really but um you know i imagine that will come in time mm-hmm. um is it just it's probably just because like the uh cdc guidelines on children under the age of 12 is just now kind of coming up yeah. to the forefront i'm guessing yeah it's really hard to imagine how this wouldn't be mandated within the next couple of years yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, but maybe that doesn't happen, but, but we'll see. Um, also saw that the superintendent got on a, it's, all, it's always funny when like the school board, they got seven people and they meet online and then they like school teachers for complaining. It's like, okay, I got 35 hmm. kids in this class. Um, the superintendent started off his message today by calling teachers heroes. And like, you, you just never want to hear that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Nightmare. That's a red flag. <laughs> it's like when HR says we're all family here, like you, yeah. And like, I'm just well, like, thank you for putting your life on the line. Yeah. You know, I'm looking That's, forward to wait, the, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, huh? what is going to be the Seattle times editorial board, the closest thing to teachers were heroes during the pandemic. 
and now we should lock them out. Like <laughs> there's something coming because we have negotiations this summer, and mm-hmm. so the, the messages is all, are are always we don't have money, huge budget shortfall, teachers are heroes, and so it's like okay, like I see the talking points <laughs> developing now. So. Interesting, yeah. So. Now, what I've noticed just like perceiving in the media and just someone from the outside is that I've seen a lot of uh, prominent people really make the claim. And this seems like the main counterpoint to um, having classes remotely, I think, for like this Omicron wave is that um, they usually either say that they are a parent or they know people who are parents or they just say parents broadly need their kids to go back to school. Like they, they, they are fed up and had enough, right? It seems like the parents are already always getting invoked in the media. And I just want to hear from you kind of what the, what the temperature is with um, parents. Is that a statement accurate or, and you know, if so, like where is that uh, like opposition to like remote learning coming from or if it's just completely some made up like, you know, union busting, like media BS too. I'm curious on your thoughts there. Um, I've had a few conversations with parents. um, And I think parents are very concerned and unsure. And I think, um, I think everybody wants clarity, but I think when you talk Mm -hmm. to like elementary school teachers, um, that's tough. That's really, really tough. To have you know twenty two dozen um, six eight nine ten year olds in, in a Zoom call or a Teams call whatever it is, but that's really tough. And I think that people are aware that it didn't go well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's that's the thing. And teachers hated it. Um, mm-hmm. We care about our students. We want to see our students, and uh, we felt really helpless last year. And there were there was there were a lot of times where teachers had to play the role of counselor online, play the role of um, uh, someone who could help them grieve. Um, we, we, we missed our students. And I think that's the thing is that teachers want to be there every day and they want to be there for their students. And they want to see them and let them students know that they're there for them. And so teachers really want to be there. Um, it's a little mixed at the moment. Parents, it's, it's really tough because like, as I mentioned before, a lot of the people who are most likely, if you're a lower income person, you're more likely to have to be working in person right now. You're more likely to to get the vi- the variants, and you're also less likely to have childcare um, available. And it's also like when the district doesn't make plans, um, like when they can they canceled a Friday after Veterans Day um, in November, they announced you know a day before, oh we're canceling school tomorrow. Like that's a nightmare for for thirty thousand parents. Um, mm-hmm. so, so you need a plan and you need time. And if the district, if we announced tomorrow, we're going online, we would need three or four days to be able to do that. Um, give some students some asynchronous work and move into it. Um, students are also very worried about, I'm uh, sorry, parents are very, very worried about, um, yeah, watching their kids, um, babysitting, uh, things that we should never have to think of, but we'd live in this neoliberal hellscape where basic necessities aren't provided and there we go. And your teachers shouldn't have to be considering um, childcare. What's the childcare situation for single parents and, and weigh that amongst um, caring about their children in the classroom. Like we shouldn't have to like, shouldn't be one or the other. Like we, 
we have these conversations. There's no good answer. Everything's bad. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, every day as a teacher, you see the failures of our society. Yeah. I mean, I, you said it when you said everything's bad. I mean, obviously like the at home, you know, distance learning wasn't a good fix because like what, I mean, how, how are people supposed to deal with that? Like just the childcare issue alone, that is what school is and, yeah. you know, in our society, whatever else it could be or should be, it is a place for uh, the nation's kids to be during the hours when whatever number of parents, one, two or three parents they have, they're all at fucking work all day. Like no one, like no one's sticking around at home. Uh, every, everybody's got a job. Uh, so that is the reality. Um, uh, and I, you know, no surprise that that was a major burden on parents, on kids, on families. Um, you so, can also sometimes see it like some, some liberals just hate their kids, right? Like, I mean, sure. <laughs> just see this yeah. all the time, like, <laughs> like we are not labor, be back in the classroom while you're working online for the New York times. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, maybe you just don't like your kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, in all fairness, yeah, like who wants to be uh, if you look, you know, teachers, you you guys, you good on you. You chose to be like locked in a room with children all day as a career. That's great. But I mean, like, it's not Very for dull. everybody. Uh the family isn't for everybody, even though just about everybody does it. And uh yeah, I mean that's made it hard uh, during this time. No doubt. So I'm wondering, because you did mention, Tony, that uh, before, you know, teachers did, uh, you know, vote uh, pretty uh, commandingly to like come back into school. And now as COVID cases are reaching uh, all time high, it sounds like that is shifting. You guys are organizing. So I'm just kind of wondering about the teachers union. So SEA, how like militant and like organized is the teachers union here? Like what's, what's the vibe and like what changed from like last year? I think the, the expression is there are three kinds of people in SEA, liberals, socialists, and PE teachers. <laughs> and, and it sort of holds up. Um, now it's overwhelmingly liberal um, right. and overwhelmingly folks who can't see beyond their immediate scenario um, in my experience. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, it's not like, so there is like, there's a very cool organization. I, I can't speak on behalf of them, but one that I'm in, uh, that I follow and I'm a part of, and that's uh, school Seattle deserves uh, a very cool organization. And, and, and we're doing some organizing and we are pushing and we want it, like we're upset that the union is dragging their feet. And I understand wanting to be a little processy a month ago, um, but we can't put out a survey to get a survey to get survey results, to have a meeting, to get another survey. And so, (laughs) I don't know, like, who are we fighting here? And I feel like um, the union leadership along with the district um, is really just wanting to not look up for lack of a better term (laughs) and to say, hey, we're going to get through these couple weeks um, and then it'll be like it never happened. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah, going to distance learning is not something that anybody really wants that being the case the groups you're organizing with within the union in sps now tony like what do you think even if these things aren't arrived at what do you think 
and and you've said that the district itself is not moving fast enough and maybe even um uh the local the union local itself is not moving fast enough given that we are literally in the middle of this incredible spiking wave and that classrooms are breaking down due to absences of teachers and students but what what are the things you and people you're organizing with are thinking about advocating for in this very moment like what should be happening in Seattle public schools that isn't happening right now, today, tomorrow, next week. We need a plan and, and we, we need to be online for a short time period in order to come back soon. Um, can you imagine if another variant started in Seattle? We'd all know where it started, right? I mean, we need a plan. We need to be online and, and you know, you see a lot of, um, uh, teachers, uh, Franklin, Cleveland High School, taking things into their own hands and saying like, um, and oftentimes with the support of their administration, uh, like we're not, the, the union and the district are not taking care of us. Um, and, and they act, uh, Kimball Elementary, um, mm-hmm. which is in, uh, it's right near Jefferson Park and, and Beacon Hill, like right where my grandparent, my grandparents um, grew up across the street from there. Um, the teachers didn't report to school they are reporting tomorrow. There were several days where they refused to report to school. And this is not just because of staffing shortages, increased work demands, lack of PPE, all these things. And so what we need right now is we need solidarity as a union and we need to not be divided and have the district do things like we're going to go school by school basis. Mm-hmm. It's not okay if Lincoln mm-hmm. High School, if Roosevelt, if Ballard get to go through this fairly unscathed and the South End schools uh, have to go online and perhaps have to stay online for a significant number of time. Um, so what we want is we want a unified response and better metrics than we got today, I'm sure, and, and a plan, and a plan that helps parents and families prepare, um, that helps students prepare, and that let teachers catch their breath. And, and, and also, once again, uh, a lot of us forgot how to teach online already. Uh, get get prepared for that. So we need a unified response. That's what we really want. Um, district wide approach, and we want uh, a short move to online to remote learning with clear metrics on when we can come back into the classroom. Yeah, all Sounds right, great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's schools taking actions all over the place, and it's just um, right now it's uh, individual schools and the teachers involved doing stuff but mm. and so what what was the um the group in your local that you're organizing with again um i would encourage yeah like i'm not authorized i can't speak on behalf but sure. i do think there's tr- some tremendous educators um i don't know where i'd be without these folks and i don't know what any of them look like um outside of a handful uh, that's uh, school seattle deserves we're on social mm-hmm. media um We've collaborated with the NAACP Youth Council, which has organized a walkout on Friday. Um, and I would say check out School of Seattle Deserves. Uh, work with us, help us grow, and um, push our union um, to create schools that Seattle deserves. Okay, so we'll we'll link to uh, School of Seattle Deserves. Um, so is that something that's going to happen, a, a, a walkout on Friday? Yeah, there will be a youth walkout on Friday organized by NAACP Youth Council. And I think um, 
I'm going to mess this up, but I, I want to say some of those folks are at Cleveland and also doing it in solidarity with some organizations and some clubs at Franklin. Cool. All right. Um, nice. Well, that's, you know, good on those students. And um, we wish you good luck, obviously, now in this school year as it continues this week as you organize and fight for uh, what is needed um, and in the future for, you know, uh, organizers and like-minded teachers like you to build solidarity to maybe um, take some of those union local leadership positions. What did, uh, I forget the guy's name. It was like uh, AOC's chief of staff. And like after the first day uh, at the Capitol building, he was, he was interviewed, asked him a question and he was like, we're going to have to primary some folks. And um, (laughs) I think about that, I think about that a lot. (laughs) Right on. Okay. Nice. Cool. Well, um, uh, Tony's got to jet off to uh, a, an emergency union meeting, so we will let him get to that. Thank you so much, Tony. Good luck. Thanks so there. much, Tony. This is awesome. Take care, guys. Thank you. Good luck, man. Best of luck. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was Tony. Uh, thanks again so much, Tony, for coming on. Yeah, you're awesome, Tony. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, really good to get that like perspective. Um, I'm just struck by the insanity that we're still having conversations like this two years into this shit. I mean, the issue yeah. with now is shit from two years ago that people were warning about fucking at the, you know, in February, March of 2020 that fucking Mike Davis was warning about like 10 years earlier, you know, mm-hmm. like pandemic coming down the road. Um, the unavailability of masks. I mean, what a fuck you from the American <laughs> government to its people. Go fuck yourself. Die. There aren't enough masks to go around. Right, Dude, right. Pass out to fucking schools when we're demanding as a nation that schools go back. Even in the one of the fucking richest cities in the country, as unequal as it is, and as we are, are learning now, it, so, such a huge portion of the school's... Uh, School, the city school population is in private school, which yeah. I I would have guessed like oh it's got to be ten percent at least, but yeah, I something like that, which sounds high still, you know. Yeah, like I mean twenty five is just wild. Crazy. Um, yeah. I mean that's that is a total that is a disinvestment by the upper class of the city in the life of the city, in the life of the in the communal life of the kids of the city. Uh, horrifying. Uh, private school should be illegal. Um, should not exist. They should be abolished. Um, they should be expropriated. Um, (laughs) and because for the very simple reason that you can't have equal education, obviously like, um, uh, no, exactly. I mean, and you know, this just goes to show that we are in a crisis of capitalism that just cannot be resolved by, you know, menial reforms. Like when you have, uh, you know, a, government and a capitalist government that needs commerce to flow. And I think that we're just seeing the most barbaric uh, results of that, which to be honest, quite frankly, scares me going into year three of this pandemic, because when we have a government that can't even provide masks to our students, while they're saying, you know, you got to go back to school. I, when I, when I hear basically, you know, um, new studies show that, you know, COVID can get transmitted it can't get transmitted through office air. Like office air is different, you know, go back into the office, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's just like, and, and that combined with the uh, deliberate inaction 
um, of our federal government, the deliberate inaction of our state government funding, like, you know, uh, public schools. It just seems like all of the clusterfuck that is our neoliberal hell that we're in is like coming to a boiling point where it's completely delegitimizing liberal capitalism. But that also opens a door for something pretty dark as well. You know, like studying, you know, stuff that maybe happened in the uh, early 20th century is usually one faith in like liberal capitalism and like the, just the established order um, erodes and goes away. Um, and there's no organized left to counter and offer an alternative. Uh, you know, that I think these conditions, like forget Trump and forget like, you know, um, these like, you know, claims of, oh, like Trump is a fascist. He's going to usher in the new like, you know, fascist wave. Honestly, conditions like this where capitalism is in terminal decline and your government leaves you for dead for you know, three years and counting uh, with no real help or rescue. Those are conditions that can lead to some seriously uh, dark stuff. And like, I just don't know how we get out of that without like an organized left base. It's frankly pretty scary to me. Well, I mean, this is going to, the Democrats are going to lose bigger than they've ever lost because like, this is insane to be going through this bullshit now, two years in no masks, like the, the shit's exploding. Our health system is being overrun there are now more people hospitalized than there ever have been and we know we've already pushed the health system to the brink we are, and and we already know why like jesus before it ever happened before it we ever had hospitalizations explode people were yelling at the trump administration for downplaying this because they were saying like yes maybe a lot of people are going to get this Maybe that's inevitable, but we need to stretch it out with social distancing. We need to stretch it out over months, not weeks, or you're going to have a situation like we are back into now for the third fucking time where hospitals are overwhelmed to the point where not only is your likelihood of dying from COVID going to increase because there aren't going to be enough fucking ventilators to go around yet again still. There aren't no. going to be enough nurses, doctors. There aren't going to be enough drugs. There's now a shortage of uh, the there's now an even greater shortage of the fucking, um, you know, uh, antibody treatments that are being given to the luckiest worst off patients uh, that that work very well. Um, but there's somehow never been enough of for like every covid patient to get um, in the richest country in the world even much less the rest of the fucking world. And now there's a big shortage of that. Uh, and it's like, we're two years in there's, and now again, we're going to get to this point where literally you can't go to the hospital with anything else. You can't go to the hospital for your cancer treatments for your broken leg because, and I sound fucking, I feel insane saying this. I don't know if I can continue to do this fucking podcast, Monia, because we're just saying the same shit. We're trapped literally. in this fucking loop that, of this obvious shit. And now it's this shit is all owned by Joe Biden. If, if the man like came out of a coma today as president, the only sane logical thing to do, this is like the kind of, I'm just indulging in the kind of idiotic, like political fantasizing that is like a very lib thing to do, but like to try it, like, uh, you know, what if we, uh, you know, this is the, we would be at brunch right now or like, uh, uh you know earth 2 or whatever yeah. but like just to just to paint a picture like if you were if 
you were president and you came out of a fucking coma in this after and somehow were like had a, a clear look at the situation the only sane thing to do would literally be to fire everyone in the federal government yeah like yeah every leadership yeah. position your entire cabinet <laughs> right um fire the i mean fauci you should have been reshuffle. fired the 80s, you're not even like, reshuffling the deck you're literally throwing the cards into the trash like no, that's like, how much you'll have to reshuffle the cabinet would be to come out in front of cameras screaming about the utter failure of everyone lying to you about this pandemic being over uh fucking screaming at like all the people all the aides who told you like no we're gonna have we this public private partnership is gonna you know help uh there be enough masks or whatever and the the pharmaceutical companies are gonna get uh plenty of vaccines there's a fucking story in the new york times last week about you know, this uh, much cheaper, much easier to produce uh, very functional vaccine that was researched immediately based on old research on the last uh, SARS virus that is like super effective. And but it's only now going into a trial because they couldn't get any funding from the federal government because the nitwits in the Trump administration were like, now we're only looking for super innovative new technologies. I mean, this is something we talked about, but we never had really heard that much about research in America. We'd heard about other countries doing more basic uh, vaccine development, but there's like this team, I, I'm not going to pull it up now, you know, who was doing, who did it and is only there now. And they're now going to, they're talking about wanting to give it to countries around the world to produce very cheaply to get everybody vaccinated. And it's like they could, but like they couldn't, they said they went to the federal government and just got the door closed in their face, you know? And like, I don't know what, I mean, my sort of fantasy, I just, it feels so impotent, this fantasy about like, what if Joe Biden like uh, gave a shit all of a sudden? That's just such a, a wretched thought to even enter my mind. Like, because uh, it so completely misses the point of this. But like, what else are you like? How else are you supposed to frame reality other than to imagine like what just from now, minute zero, what would be sane about this world? Right. Because, man, it isn't fucking socialism or barbarism. It's we're at barbarism. This is barbarism. It is barbaric. It is. We're there. Like, my God. Ugh. I, I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and th that's the thing. And it's like, I come to this like theory a lot where it's like, oh, like what if Joe Biden actually did something? And then I always come back to, well, that would mean that the government would not be captured by pharmaceutical companies. That means that there wouldn't be like, you know, a bunch of Goldman Sachs people in the revolving door of DC basically running the government. Um, that would mean that we actually had a real democracy, you know? Because like, I think about... The idea and like also just like going back to like the German Social Democratic Party and how, you know, any like because I'm relating this back to Bernie and let's like do another counterfactual. And if Bernie was uh, president, like one thing that I'm really having a hard time reckoning with right now is the fact that when you're in like a terminal decline in liberalism and neoliberalism um, and whoever's in charge, whether it's Trump, whether it's Biden, they're facilitating that decline. That's what they're doing. Like yeah. if you actually look like not even seeing like Republican or Democrat and you just look at it on a scale, they facilitated this decline and there's not much 
difference other than maybe aesthetic and like, you know, who gets riled up from it and who really cares. But those are reactions. The actual reality is, is that they've both facilitated the decline within COVID and the crisis of capitalism that cannot be tolerated by the U.S. state. And so if Bernie was in power without any like real, you know, like revolution, so he's coming into um, D.C.'s halls of powers with all the same systems and structures in place to basically prevent him from doing anything. Um, I'm just wondering, like, would he be able to even like even if he wanted to and even if he would get us fired up and let's say like even if like, you know, maybe he does some organizing here and there at the end of the day. Would would we just be in decline with now Bernie as the figurehead and the ref and the left basically discredited, just like the Social Democratic Party was when they voted for you know World War One and you know um, lost all credibility and stuff? It's just like I don't know. I I really do think about how if we don't have like fundamental changes in our system and if we just kind of assume those systems, like will the system allow? actual intervention or are we so far down the neoliberal fucking rabbit hole on the fucking death spiral that death roller coaster that we can't get off that no matter what like we, we are just like kind of condemned to this like open market like go get covid and die fuck you you can die too because i mean the sentiment really if you think about it is that people are looking at each other whether it's people who don't have health insurance fuck you die whether it's uh, you're unvaccinated, fuck you, die. This fuck you, die thing is basically like the status quo and the party line for both parties and like the actual like, you know, zeitgeist within like, you know, the average American right now. And I think that that has some really dark implications of like that's where we're at as a society. Well, that right. Like, I mean, you know, in early December with the wave coming, the uh, Jen Psaki is questioned about like, like masks and shit is or tests and yeah tests and it's like she jokes like what you want us to send everyone in the country a test and that gets a lot of pushback everyone so so biden has to come out and say yes you know what we're gonna we're gonna get tests out we're gonna get 500 million tests out the door and uh starting january 15th okay a little fucking late uh since (laughs) they were you know this may be the that may be the the crest of the wave if we're lucky um but like now, then now this week, the announcement was, OK, like we promised, this is the program we are going to uh, by, you know, ex- regulatory order. We're going to make it so uh, in sh- private insurance companies have to reimburse you for your tests for your at home tests. Yeah. Yeah. If you it's have like, private insurance, you can get reimbursed so for only, FDA approved tests. I mean, people are focusing <laughs> on the fact that like, yeah, oh, you're leaving out all the uninsured or how is this going to apply also to public insurance, like Medicaid and shit, whatever. I mean, God, that's like the that's even the wrong question. My God, all that means all they're doing is a, is a little regulatory thing. And they're saying, OK, private sector, private free market deal with this we're gonna make you deal with it and i'm sorry like that's not that is barbarism okay it is it's open barbarism we're living in that shit we know we were said people have been saying since the early days under trump and liberals were criticizing him joe biden was for not like invoking the fucking defense production act and like Mm -hmm. fucking taking over management of of producers and making them make this shit and buying them for them at uh, you know, a reasonable markup and and taking care of spreading it around the country. You could have been doing this all this time. As to Bernie, 
I think I honestly think the bar is pretty low here. Like you could, while really actually not being a threat to capitalism, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you could do a lot better than this. And I think, yeah, of course, Bernie would have. Of course, I think Bernie wouldn't have taken a lot of the bullshit that just gets, you know, you get managed. Someone like Biden just gets managed by all these interests and aides to say like, oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's going to we're we're doing this shit. Uh, we're going to get here's Domicron is going to be mild. Let's not even worry about it. Yeah. Or here's no this mask. Like, okay, pro- Jack. Yeah. Or here's this test program. January 15th. Great. Whatever. No, I think Bernie would have been doing a lot fucking more because the, the thing about that is like the dream of Bernie was the, the proposition was transferring management of the decline of the empire to the left, a left, right. a, a more a cozier more left oriented slightly more humanitarian decline of the empire uh that maybe wasn't so brutal and dystopian now would that could would that have failed on a lot of levels i'm sure would it have still been bad i think the bar is so fucking low on the covid response from both of the administrations that have been under it that i have no doubt at all that bernie would have done a lot different and been successful because the situation's so dire it's such a fucked up thing like it's not if you have the you know uh, to be a fucking dork about it the bully pulpit of the presidency like like it's not it would not be that hard to make some hay out of that and to really like achieve some things here on a very basic level but that's the thing that proposition the left management of the decline of empire was in itself as a whole rejected totally by the powers of that run this country. Mm-hmm. That is why Bernie was not allowed to get anywhere near the presidency. Uh, because that comes as a whole package, uh, doing anything about COVID treating, you know, workers like they're human beings even a little bit in a fucking pandemic, you know, appealing to the uh, the power of the government and the solidarity of the nation in a time of of uh, suffering to maybe do some good. That came in a package. Capital looked at that and said, no, like, we're not turning over the decline of the empire to uh, a socialist. Like, it's not happening and everything that goes with it. And that's why... and a rational, slightly more humane response to COVID was part of that. The answer was mm-hmm. no, we don't mm-hmm. get that. And so that's right. why we can't, we were not allowed to have Bernie. So yeah, I do think in some scenario where Bernie got in there, yes, he'd be doing a lot better, but that is precisely why it was not allowed to happen. Like that yeah. was never going to happen. It was off the table. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's truly dark times. I mean, it's it, living through, living through an imperial decline uh you know in the imperial core is surreal i mean th- that's what it is to me it is surreal yeah and um it could be a very long decline with a lot of years of uh, great global power left to it uh well folks uh hope you enjoyed that i hope uh, your day your has been brightened by this story i i think it is valuable to hear from tony you know yeah, the inside definitely. scoop um support the teachers out there um, teachers unions, teachers are a backbone of this, what little fucking society exists in America. And the teachers unions are, um, I think some of the most important like social formations probably in America. Um, and I'd agree.
they're they have a fucking target on their back even outside of covid so uh support them when you can uh yeah munya nice potting with you buddy absolutely as always great all right good night good night